millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So Novak Djokovic is a nine-time Australian Open champion. He has never lost a final on the Rod Laver Arena. He's an 18-time Grand Slam champion, closing the gap on Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal to just two major titles. And he's on a 21-match Australian Open winning streak. And I am never getting led astray by blooming Pam Shriver again. <laughs> What's Pam done? She led me down a very Medvedevy path. Oh, yeah. Well, what did she say again? I can't remember now. Well, her pre-tournament predictions had Medvedev beating Djokovic in the final. And I just, why, I copied Pam. Why wouldn't you copy Pam? <laughs> Don't know why we all yeah. weren't copying Pam. But honestly, it's it's so interesting how these things go. Because last night, no, whoever I spoke to, seemed to think Medvedev was going to win, pretty much. Um, and and I, after the semi-finals, the way he played against Tsitsipas, yeah, I was won over by it to some degree as well. Um, it was totally 50-50 in the end, I think, on paper, pretty much. Um, but it they did not perform like they had been all week, respectively, did they? Mm. Absolutely not. I mean, one thing that felt nailed on certain, as certain as anything can be ahead of a sporting contest, is that it would be long and gruelling. I mean, Five Lives schedule reflected as much, David. Yeah, we'd made lots of room. (laughs) What did you do with the big gap at the end? Suddenly Gigi was sort of reading out West Ham team sheets and stuff. And she she was two-weighing Mike Costello on the boxing and uh, and all that sort of thing, doing an excellent job as well. But it was, yeah, it was, I thought... I thought, oh, we're going to fill to 11 o'clock local time. Suddenly it's like, right, we're going on till 11.30 as scheduled. Uh, so that's 45 minutes worth. But uh, no, it was a um, good, good way to get through the, 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 the slightly bizarre presentation speech um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, chuck our opinions around a bit. Yes, we, we will be covering that uh, very bizarre presentation ceremony. Matt, I mean, obviously it's absolutely no surprise to to see Novak Djokovic winning an Australian Open title. How surprised are you by by the match that we saw in that final? Totally surprised. 
the result of Djokovic winning is is not a big surprise to me. I thought it would be close. I thought Medvedev had a really big shot. But as you know, I'm I'm a sucker for history in these matches and I will tend to lean on the side of the big three because so will I now. Yep. Because I've just seen it so many times before and I have to see the opposite to believe that it can happen in many ways. But the manner of his win was totally shocking to me. Um, I thought it would be one of those Djokovic performances where he played well in the key moments and he won because of his sheer stubbornness and his sheer bloody-mindedness to not walk away without that title. And yet, actually what happened, it was a sublime performance from start to finish from him and a slightly disappointing performance from Medvedev. I think those two things are connected I certainly think Djokovic did a lot of things to make Medvedev not play as well as he has been. But still, I did feel like Medvedev lost his way in the middle of the match and could have made it closer because for the first set, it was the match I was expecting. It was tight. It was tense. It was close. It was quite long. Um, And then after that, it just totally changed and really did really did catch me off guard. Yeah, seven five six two six two. Djokovic beat Medvedev. Um, he went three love up in in the first set, and then Medvedev pegs him back to three all. And you think, game on. You know he's not going to crumble and fall away like like so many of the other young pretenders. If we get to five all in the first set, and it feels like it's simmering. We're all we're all googling tiebreak records, <laughs> and Djokovic says no. <laughs> absolutely not put your googling away stop updating wikipedia pages um he takes that set seven five hits the thrusters um there is a bit of a rally from medvedev at the start of the second he he breaks in that opening game and i described that response at the time as djokovic-esque and then he gets immediately broken back um and he only wins three more games after that which felt Mm. Which would have felt scarcely credible at the time. Yeah, uh, Russell Fuller in our commentary was was quite unforgiving in terms of his criticism of Medvedev around that stage thereafter, and and I think he was quite right. You know, having thinking back, he because he said, "I thought that this Medvedev had gone, thought he'd put this Medvedev away, this one that just." starts looking around for people to blame and and complaining and losing focus and uh, because whereas typically in a grand slam if Djokovic loses his temper it just focuses him and and I expect better of Medvedev in that way as well and he just he just tailspun really a lot of it caused by his opponent but I think what what actually happened in terms of the the dynamics of the match it Djokovic made Medvedev do what I kind of thought Medvedev might be able to make Djokovic do, which was break, psychologically break. I thought Medvedev might be able to expose an aging Djokovic today, just a little bit of an aging Djokovic. And I talked about whether the resilience was still there. And, and we were looking for those little signs of him bailing out on rallies and we uh, and hitting drop shots or going for a winner too early. And once in a while we saw that and, um, I'm sure some of it was tactical from Djokovic, just wanted to change the the rhythm and route and way the rallies were going. But 
the other happened. It was Djokovic who was so solid and putting so much pressure on with with his returns, the deep returns right onto the baseline, just handcuffing Medvedev. It was Medvedev who just mentally lost it. Um, and, and I found that very interesting. And I feel quite naive because it, it was just the, the, the wrong way around from what I expected. Well, imagine how Stefano Sitsipas feels having described Medvedev's serve as better than John Isner's. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. How confused is Sitsipas right now? Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is 2019 all over again, isn't it? Well, Medvedev won 88% of his first serve points against Tsitsipas and he won 69% today against Djokovic. That is such a huge difference. Djokovic is able to read Medvedev's serve in a way that Tsitsipas can't and then return it to his toes. The number of returns he hit right onto that baseline and then is able to take control of the rallies. I mean, I don't know why I found that a bit surprising. Djokovic has been doing that his whole career and yet, I kind of did find it a little bit surprising how routine he made it look. And then the other aspect that Djokovic has got going on at the moment is his serve. It feels like he's serving better than ever. And when he's able to control sort of his opponent's service games with his return and his own service games with his own serve being as good as it's ever been in terms of the number of aces he hit, he's a tournament leader, he becomes virtually unplayable. I think when you add in everything else that he's got in his game, it was it was a devastating performance. Mm, it did feel unplayable today. I'm not sure as much as I think there was there was something lacking in Medvedev's challenge. Certainly in that second and third set, I think anybody would have been on a hiding to nothing today. Goran Ivanovic, um, one of Djokovic's coaches, of course, came to do. Uh, press conference after the match and he he didn't want to disclose exactly what work they'd done on Djokovic's serve that he's you know that was sort of a, a secret recipe but he did say we have worked on it a lot and he also said he thinks Djokovic's serve has, has been underrated mm. over the years and he's mm. he's pleased to see people sitting up and and taking notice of it now well that shot looked as reliable as his ground strokes over the course of the last two weeks. And uh, I don't think there can be a, a more lofty compliment than that um, because he's he's not viewed as a server. He's not viewed as one of the best servers. And yet, right now, he looks like one of the best servers in the game. Um, Federer, when he's on, can just serve his way through those games in, in a matter of seconds, can't he? Djokovic is doing that now. He's hitting his spots. He's hitting them hard. I mean, they're really coming down now. Um, and... I mean, I think I think a lot of it is just removing the shackles from Djokovic's mind, so that he doesn't just feel like he's got to roll it in and then and then defend his serve. Now his serve is setting him up every time, um, and I'm sure Goran is part of that because he did the same with Chilich. He tried to do the same with Burdick. Um, but I, but I, I dare say there have been technical adjustments as well. Is that, that a bit was of shade? A terrible at burn that was on very Burdick. funny, David. <laughs> But I mean, you know, look, I, I, I know Goran, Goran was frustrated with Burdick because mm. Burdick refused to let the shackles off. He couldn't get out of the mindset of what he already was. And whereas Chilich did and Chilich broke through and won, won a slam. I feel like particularly with Djokovic at the age he is now, he's got to win matches in a slightly different way for the next few years. Um, he's still an incredible retriever. 
But he is ten. You know, he's he's older than these guys, and he's got to be able to find ways to win matches with in a more efficient manner. Um, he's already talking about in terms of his scheduling and all those sort of things. If he wants to get these records, that's how he goes about doing it. That's why Goran is such a good appointment for him in in a lot of different ways. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk more about all of that about what Goran's had to say. He's definitely fired the well, not the starting gun. I know the the Grand Slam race kind of in theory started in two thousand and four or whatever, but. It feels like Goran has really started the firing pistol on the final lap. Um, he's really, <laughs> he's certainly not avoiding it, is he? He's really sh- thrown a shark into the tank. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that. Just on, just on Medvedev for a man who's <clears throat> one previous Grand Slam final experience was defined by not knowing when he's beaten, in spite of what was down the other end of the court. I was very surprised by what I saw today, the deflation in him as early as the second set. Because, you know, he had broken the Djokovic serve. He'd proven to himself that he could do that. He's been in a situation before where he's looked completely down and out. And he's a better tennis player now than he was then. I I don't know. I was I was really surprised by that. I did not expect him to be that psychologically beaten today. Mm, I agree. But was that the issue? You know, you mentioned that he had broken the Djokovic serve. He was playing well in that first set and he lost it. I can't remember the 2019 US Open final well enough to know whether he was playing really well in those first two sets against Nadal or Not really. or, or whether it felt like he had more gears to find. It, it, it seemed to me, first set, he was in close to top gear. He was going toe-to-toe with Djokovic and he lost it. And I, I was disappointed with the way that he faded and there was a deflation and there was a, there was a resistance to try different things tactically, mm, I think. Which, which is so unlike which him. Which is so unlike him. Um, but I just wonder whether that first set really took it out of him. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's very aware, I'm sure, of Djokovic's record when he wins the first set. It's such a big thing for Djokovic getting that first set. You know, basically only Stan Wawrinka is the guy who consistently has been able to trouble Djokovic from that position. I I can understand why some thoughts might have crept into Medvedev that would, you know, burst his bubble a little bit, but it, it was still disappointing to watch. And that's because Wawrinka always sort of snoozes through the first set yeah. of a five-set <laughs> tennis match, doesn't he? Diesel. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like a lot of... What happened out there was caused by Djokovic's handcuffing of him and relentlessness. Um, obviously, off the back of winning the first set, of course, you know that was nip and tuck, and he and he won the important bits. But there was a moment in the third set where Medvedev started to come back at him and play well. There was just a little burst when he won a couple of long points and he was starting to really swing. And there was one particular point after he'd he'd had a little run where he's hitting the ball as sweetly as he has all match, and he's starting to play like he did against Tsitsipas, smashing the ball on his forehand, trying to put Djokovic on the back foot. And yet, it still ended with Djokovic putting one grand stroke that felt impossible to hit onto the baseline and still winning the point. And, and And it felt to me like his... 
Medvedev's spirit was just broken at that point and and he was looking around him and and unable to to cope quite honestly he just couldn't cope Djokovic did uh, as as you encouraged him to do Matt do do a fair bit of drawing Medvedev into the net um and I do wonder if Medvedev on the basis of today might go away and work on his net game a little bit because because others will have seen that and and perhaps you know they probably won't be able to execute execute it um to the extent that Djokovic did today but you know templates can be created for for beating players and it that did seem like a route that was working and could work for others yeah i think sorting that out will be something which will help him not be exploited by other players and will help him against Djokovic. Because I agree with David, I felt today that there was a possibility that for the basically the first time ever, we might see someone go toe-to-toe with Djokovic and break him. I thought, I thought that was possible from the back of the court, that backboard ability that Medvedev's got. But in the end, what, it, what today affirmed was what I've always thought. And that you, in a five-set match against Djokovic in a Grand Slam final, you can't really break him. You've got to have ways to go round him rather than through him. And that's why I've always felt like Federer has had a chance against Djokovic because of the way he can deploy variety and come forward. And I just think you need to be able to kind of do both. You know, you need to have the solidity from the back of the court. You need to have the hands up at the net. You need to have the big serve. You need to have Nadal's determination on every point. You've got to have everything going on to be able to beat Djokovic in these matches. And there's not many people that can do that. There's barely a person that can do that if Djokovic is is playing at his best. So I think improving at the net would would be a big help for Medvedev. But it's, it's a lot easier said than done, I think. He was he was um, peculiarly upbeat, I thought, in his press conference afterwards, Medvedev, certainly more so than I was expecting. He said, this one hurts a bit less than the US Open because in the US Open, I feel like I had chances that I didn't take. There was a chance for me to win. And I guess that's a different psychology. Some some characters would be more upset by by not having, not feeling like you you could win. I mean, I think Sitsipas would probably uh, be more deflated after that kind of defeat today than than about a really close one. But he seemed he seemed to me like he would be able to to reconcile this in his mind and move on from it quite quickly. Mm, I agree. Uh, I think this one hurts us and people watching it and invested in having a great moment in tennis kind of competition and a, and a wonderful Grand Slam final. It was a real, in terms of a match, it was a damp squib. Mm. And we were, we were so not expecting that. It feels a bit like two years ago when, when the same happened to Nadal. And I always feel a bit bad about that because that's, that's not really fair to Djokovic because he's the one who's caused it. You know, he just happens to be too good for them both. But yeah, it was as a spectacle, it was a disappointment. Um, I remember Nadal being quite philosophical about that, whereas the one we relived, the 2017 final, we relived that, didn't we, on the, on the eve of this tournament. It's still there if you want to have a listen to that. And we were really struck by how crestfallen he looked in the presentation. And yet two years ago, 
I sensed that he was look, viewing it as a kind of right. Okay, well, this is where I am. This is where I am. I can't do any. I I I, I can do more than this. But this is where I am right now. And he used it as a as a platform. And I wonder whether Medvedev is thinking like that. Really, um, it was so quick. I didn't. Know, I don't know. If, there's not time for me to worry about um, the emotional investment. I, I just didn't. I didn't produce today. He did. Let's move on. Um, uh, maybe that. Maybe not. Not sort of investing all of that emotion is easier to put behind you. Mm. I've got some bad news for him on the boat front. Don't want to oh, add yeah. insult to injury, but news just in from my dad. Um, I think Daniil threw himself overboard this morning and I'm still thinking about whether to turn back and rescue him. <laughs> <laughs> it's brutal absolute, on the boat. He was a dead cert for being on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh so that's, that's quite a turnaround. Kick a man when he's down, got, Dad. Has your, has your dad got any theories as to what where he's? I don't lacking? think he's interested in theories. He just wants he just wants sailors that are up to muster. <laughs> they've got to, they've got to be the finished article when they're right. Yes, it's not it's not, he's a not interested in, in excuses. No. So anyway, we'll keep you updated as the season progresses <laughs> on uh, Daniil Medvedev's plank walking status. Um. <laughs> Who who do we think is uh, feeling more sorry for themselves tonight then? Daniil Medvedev or Jane Herdlicker of Tennis Australia who who had an awful time in that presentation. Is she the head of yeah. Tennis Australia? Yeah. Um she she gave quite a lengthy lengthy speech. I think len- lengthier than it would ordinarily be because she was wanting to recognise all the challenges and circumstances that were unique, or hopefully unique, to this Australian Open. Um, And she referenced the vaccine programme, which I believe is starting Monday um, in Australia. I think think, uh, Alison Mitchell, David, told you on Twitter that the Prime Minister uh, was vaccinated today in Australia to kick off that programme. Well, that was greeted with extremely vociferous booze. I mean not yeah. not to a not to a man or woman in the crowd, but we're not talking about a little group of hecklers here. That was booed mm. roundly by the Australian Open crowd, as were the Victorian government that were mentioned. Yeah. It was it was I was surprised, yeah. I must say. I, maybe I'm I guess I'm just naive. I, my assumption was that the booing was because of the fact that the vaccination program is up and running in other countries and it's not in Australia and they were annoyed about being behind. But people were, yeah, I mean, a lot of people were also saying, look, these people don't represent our views mm. or, uh, over in Australia and it's, it's a minority, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it appeared to be that there were, there were vaccine, anti-vaccine protests, weren't there, mm. in, in Australia today. And, and, yeah, they were booing the idea of having a vaccine that can get, it, get life back to normal. It was... Great idea. It was troubling. Mm. It was very troubling. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot yeah. of there were a lot of Djokovic fans in that stadium, mm. and Novak Djokovic has you know has made his position clear on the vaccine. Mm. Look, yeah. I, I, I don't know who was doing the booing, but it's it's. I thought it was potentially a little insight into the effect that the words of someone in with Novak Djokovic's standing can have um 
I pers- I was thinking about this. I personally would be surprised if that was what what was happening out there, just because it was such a long time ago that his words were spoken, and he's kind of rode back from it since then. Um, or he's certainly he, been a lot less committed to the idea. He hasn't repeated them, but I don't think he's rode back. Well, he's he's softened his his words on mm. it mm. quite a bit. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I mean, he we we don't know, but yeah, I, I, yeah. It was certainly it was not was what I was expecting. I mean, look, I thought, yeah, she she, she went on too long, and uh, and she got booed at least twice in the. Uh, in the interview, yeah. in, I hope Daniel Medvedev and Jane Hurdlick are, are sort of out on the town in Mount Melbourne. <laughs> I would be interested their sorrows. to, you know, if anyone's listening who was in the stadium, I, w- I would be interested mm, to yes. know what their sense was in terms of where the booing was was coming from and how many yeah. it was and that kind of thing because it was difficult Absolutely. to get that sense on the yeah, TV. Yeah, do get in do get in touch with us um, if you were there. Um, that yeah, absolutely, that would be very interesting indeed. Um, He's up to 18 in the Grand Slam race and he's up to nine in terms of Australian Opens. And if it weren't for the fact that Nadal has won 13 French Opens, we 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 would have just spent the last 25 minutes talking about how this is potentially one of the greatest achievements in all of sport. Um, and I know Simon Briggs will probably make the case, as he did back back in the day when Djokovic was on eight Australian Open titles, that actually this achievement should be held alongside Nadal's because of all the arguments we talked about when we highlighted that article at the time, that, that hard courts are so much more democratic than, than clay or grass. I I personally don't endorse that. I, I do think Nadal's record at the French Open does stand apart. But this is still one of the best records in all of sport. They they both can be, I, I think. Mm. I mean, I, I still think Nadal's is the more absurd record. Just, I mean, it's four more, obviously. Um, but you're right. It's because of that record that we, that this doesn't seem as abnormal as it should yeah. i mean nine australian opens is that is not normal in any way shape or form the, the other record that uh that it strikes me that he's just joined is the number that chris everton martin and everton over are on uh, of 18 mm. um and uh yeah to to see him now and and think I mean, I was very struck by what Goran said about how he needed this one. I think that that was one of the most, that was the most interesting elements of the day almost. Yeah. Well, I asked him about that in the, he sort of casually dropped in that, that line in one of the opening questions to him in the press conference said, said Novak needed this one. And he's so blunt Goran, you know, he, he, he really was. Total opposite of Novak, yeah, isn't he? Absolutely. Short, sharp, blunt. Um, and he said needed it, and I followed up by asking him to elaborate on that a bit. Do you, do you mean because of how last year panned out? Why do you why do you say need rather than particularly wanted this one? Um, and Goran's answer, he said, "Look, you'll have to ask Goran about last year." But yes, it hit him really hard, and it did make him double down on his his desire to put that behind him. But he also referenced. The fact that to really feel like that Grand Slam race was alive, really alive, 
in the final lap, he needed to get within two. He needed to get to 18 for it to feel really within reach. And I I kind of understand that because sitting here now with him on 18, that somehow does feel a lot closer than 17. <laughs> um, it feels closer than one, yeah. one slam's difference, doesn't it? Really it really does, uh, yeah. And, and the fact that Goran posited himself that, you know, Nadal's going to win a couple more French Open. Yeah, Goran was doing like <laughs> doing numbers out there. He said, right, this is how it's going to be. Novak's on 18. Nadal, Federer are on 20. Nadal for sure is going to win at least one or two more French Opens. How he coaches Djokovic at the next French Open, I don't know, because he's just given it to Nadal. Go out there, do your best, you'll lose. Um yeah, he didn't say much about... He, I get the impression he doesn't think Federer will win another one. He certainly said he thinks Djokovic and Nadal will finish ahead of Federer. He said, I said that a long time ago. I still think it now. He thinks basically... Great thing for a coach to say, isn't it? Yeah. It's so funny. So basically, he's he's certain that Djokovic will reach Federer and overtake Federer. He said that very um, categorically. So he thinks it's between Djokovic and Nadal who finishes on the most. But if he's giving Nadal a couple of French Opens, that's 22. So that means he thinks Djokovic needs to be targeting 23. And then he st- got, starts getting asked about Serena and Margaret Court's record, <laughs> which I'm loving having that in t- entered into the conversation, um, possibly prematurely, but who cares? Um, yeah, and Goran was stoking the fire right up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was so much going on there because I kind of feel like he's he's made a sort of Daniel Medvedev-style mind games, the pressure's on Nadal now because Nadal, of course, is going to win two more French Opens. Well, maybe he won't, you know. And so, that, so that feels like he's already sort of putting that pressure on to Nadal. You better be re- winning your French Opens, mate, because my bloke, <laughs> I still think, can overtake you even if you do. Um and I think there's a there's a bit of a challenge in there to to uh, to Novak Djokovic himself, but there's also the I mean I've also got this image of Roger Federer right now blue tacking those quotes onto his wall <laughs> that he's not going to get any more because Goran said he won't. He'd probably do better than going out for an, David. Ivan Ivan Lubacic saying, "Do you know what Goran?" My compatriot has just said about you. <laughs> and them just saying, right, let's go and do an extra 15 minutes on the practice court. You know, oh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm imagining is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Djokovic himself, he, in fact, Goran's press conference went on so long. There was sort of an extra question at the end. And Goran said, but no, um, Novak's waiting outside. And the moderator sort of said, yeah, but they want, they want to speak to you a bit more. And he went, oh, okay. <laughs> um, then he leaves and, Djokovic comes in with his glass of champagne, pops the pops the trophy on the on the counter, um, and he he said that well he said a lot of things, but he said that now he has that world number one record. Now that he's overtaken Federer for the most weeks at world number one, which was secured at the back end of last week, and we talked about it at the time, he said that's going to completely shift around his schedule and calendar for the year. He basically just said. Now I've got that, it really is only slams for me. Mm. And my schedule will reflect that, particularly at the moment when it is pretty impractical to have my family travelling with me. Um, 
So, I mean, look, that's a sh- that's a shame for the tours, I think, at a time when the tours are struggling. I get it. Um, but at a time when tour events are struggling, that's that's going to be a blow for them, that Novak Djokovic, the world number one, will feature at few of them. But it was, I loved how brazen he was about, you know, it's just, he'd heard Goran fire the starting pistol and, uh, yeah, he was lining up on the blocks. <laughs> yeah, and, and Goran said, I wouldn't mind if his next tournament is the French Open. Yeah, <laughs> which Nadal's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel conflicted because here I am saying that he's just joined Chris Everton, and Martin and Evertilova on 18. And I've, I've kind of got the words of Billie Jean King in the back mm. of my mind of, yeah, but they built a tour. Mm. They built a tour at the same time. It's not the same thing. It's not the same set of priorities. At the same time, right here where we are right now, how will Novak Djokovic's career be defined? It will be defined now that he's got the, the world number one record, but even more so, it will be defined by how many Grand Slam titles he ends up with. Is he ahead of them or is he behind them? He could win another 20 tour titles, but it's about the slams in terms of what makes a difference really in how tennis history remembers him. Even if I find that a shame, that's that's just how, how it is these days. I'm interested to see what the schedule looks like though because in my mind he already played a pretty streamlined schedule compared to everyone else if you look at the last few years he's not played that many events other than the ones he's really had to other than ones that felt like grand slam tune-up events anyway i know he went to vienna last year i guess he wouldn't do that sort of thing is is what he's talking about perhaps i don't think we see him until the clay no i don't think so Mm. either and even then, I don't think it's going to be... I don't think we're going to see Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome. No. No, I mean, I uh, maybe you'll play one or two mm. of those. You know, uh, I doubt if I mean, obviously see him in Monte, Monte Carlo. Carlo he, well, that's home, isn't it? He lives in... Of course, yeah. yes, it is, isn't it? So yeah. I, I suspect... Yeah, a, that might be the returning sus- event. It'll be may, Monte Carlo and Rome would be my prediction. Yeah, he, he may well miss, miss Madrid. Mm. Mm. Just going back to this idea of Djokovic needing this one, I wondered at the end of last year whether he'd lost a step or two. The flat performance at Roland Garros, the weird sort of mental checkout at the ATP finals. And I think, you know, we speculated there were a lot of factors that went into that. For me, the two now, looking at it, I really think that US Open disqualification that he took affected him mentally. And being able, like the off-season was a kind of reset for him. And I also think living a more normal life after the quarantine in Australia helps Djokovic immensely. He has made it clear he does not enjoy the bubble life at all. Obviously, there was a lot going on for him at at this tournament with the injury, with the quarantine period, with the way that he was represented in the media But after that, while the tournament was happening, I think he enjoyed the conditions a lot more than he has at the end of last season, where he looked fatigued and tired and a bit stressed the whole time. Whereas I do think he was a lot more comfortable in Australia. So I'm I'm interested whether there's a reversion when we go back to bubbles at all. Um, That that will be another interesting thing to follow, I think. I also think it, it, it bears pointing out... Um, 
that both the singles winners at this tournament were in Adelaide quarantine um, and more so more so than that, were able to have an expanded entourage with them. I am not calling into question whether those two were worthy winners or whether they, they would have won. I feel quite sure they probably would have won regardless. I really do. I'm, I'm not meaning to, to question their legitimacy. I just think it would be remiss not to point out that both of them were able to have pretty much their full entourages with them. Djokovic was able to have a coach, a fitness trainer and a physio. And boy, did he need that physio. He was the he was the guy he played the mo- paid the most tribute to in that speech. He said he was having hours and out pretty much, you know, just solid hours of physio on his on his day off. Medvedev didn't have a physio with him. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have access to to physiotherapy. Tennis Australia would have made sure that that he did, of course. But that is a factor. Um, and, you know, it, it, nobody's pretending that, you know, in year week in, week out in the tennis tour, the top players don't have access to, to greater privileges than the rest. They can afford bigger entourages than, than the rest. And to a certain extent, they've, they've earned all of that. I just think it's worth drawing attention to. Yeah, it does warrant uh, mentioning, um, and that physio process was the other really fascinating thing about the post-match today, wasn't it? Especially hearing from Goran. Because I think whenever Novak Djokovic talks about physical health, his injuries or not injuries or degree of injuries, and whenever he shows ill health or pain on court or matches fluctuate and there's a lot of cynicism out there about him and his record and whether he has serious injuries, whether he has no injuries, all the rest of it. There's a lot of chat, including on our podcast. And we, we never, I never feel like I really know where we stand over, over the years, uh, other than to say when, when he did whatever he did against uh, Taylor Fritz the other day, I could see the panic in his eyes. And, and the, we talked about it at the time, the immediate feeling of why me after all, all this, the US Open, now, and all, now this, when, when this is the one. And Goran's made it very clear, this is the one he needs in order to close the gap. Um, Goran was just, I mean, he came out fighting, didn't he? He came out and he, was, he wanted to have a go in his own way at all of us for criticising Djokovic. And the, the the gist of it was, doesn't matter what he does, he's going to get criticised by you you, you, you lot. And, uh, and he made it very clear in his mind, look, I know what he went through in the last week. I know how much pain he was in. And the gist was, he's got a pain threshold that's higher than all of these guys and he, he's prepared to take more. He's pre- I mean, because... You put them side to side, there's a lot of players who pulled out because of abdominal strains. Joe Conta, Matteo Bertini, several others. And Djokovic kept going and he said by the last two rounds, he said he wasn't really in any pain. So we're still left wondering how serious was this injury? He, Djokovic, is saying that he has a documentary crew with him filming everything that has gone on the last week and that will be released at the end of this year. And he says... It'll all be in there, so we'll we'll find out whether whether there is much more light to shed. But it was it was interesting to hear Goran's response like that, and he was pissed off. He was annoyed that Djokovic wasn't getting believed and not getting given credit for fighting through this 
this situation. I mean, yeah, we wait and see that. I mean, we wait and see the, the results of that that uh, that documentary. But we were talking about it at the time. Goran's standing with the with the media is very strong. He people. He's got a lot of credit in the bank over the years from when he was a player and how blunt he is and how straight-talking he is and how funny he is and all the rest of it. And it's, I think there are, f- there are a few people probably watching that that maybe were prepared to take his word for it more than they had from Djokovic in the past. Does everybody have a documentary film crew following them around now? Should I have a documentary film crew following me around? It'd be very very boring material, but if that's what people are doing... Well, you and Billie Jean <laughs> yeah. wrecking the cables. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said that will be coming out at the end of this year. So that he, he Djokovic said that's when you'll get to see behind the curtain. So, and and if if that's the case, if it's like Murray's was, for instance, I think that that would do him a lot of good. Mm. You know, don't, don't don't airbrush anything; just give it to us and. Because that's the way Goran gives it to you in terms of how he speaks. And I think that that does Novak Djokovic an awful lot of PR good Mm. just by not trying to be too nice and corporate about things or or talk around them. Just talk to them. Just say what it is. Just give it to us straight. If we don't – if you want to argue with us, argue with us. But, you know, and that's what Goran did. And I think it did did Djokovic the world a good, quite honestly. Goran Ivanovic, inadvertent PR guru. Although, as as you said, Catherine, someone get that man some sun cream. Oh, it was it's too late now. Yeah, I, I I was in his press conference and I was I was texting you two saying, "What shall I ask him?" Other than why on earth he didn't pack any <laughs> sun cream because he was a worrying colour for a man that you know this is not his first rodeo down under. He's got grey hair now. Yeah, but he should be well versed in the ways of managing sun exposure. I was was very worried about him. Um, speaking of sort of being generally very worried about people, Craig Tiley has done uh, an interview, um, which has been reported. Uh, it, it, the interview was was with um, the Australian Associated Press. I'm reading a piece here from Perth Now, um, which is not a website I visited before, but thank you, Perth Now. Um, about what the experience of the last six weeks has been like personally for Craig Tiley. And, I mean, it's pretty harrowing, really. I should say it's not him complaining. He has absolutely no regrets. He is obviously um, a source of tremendous personal um, satisfaction and and achievement that that they've managed to to get this tournament happening. Um, But, yeah, he says he's been getting three to four hours sleep for the last, six weeks he was wearing a Fitbit during the interview which was actually tracking his sleep he said last night four hours 31 minutes that was a good night um my sleep score says below fair and I've lost weight because of the stress interested to know what my sleep score would be generally um, <laughs> you and Roger you and Roger Federer uh, 12 hours apiece <laughs> um yeah and he was just describing his experience and he said actually during the period where the players were in quarantine after it transpired that there were those players that had been on flights that had returned positive tests and they would have to be forced into to hard quarantine um 
He said he committed to nightly Zoom calls with everyone in quarantine, first with the women's players and their support staff, then the men and theirs, and finally with the critical international workforce, those flying in to work at the event, including chair umpires, tour officials, broadcasters and international media. Um, It says in this uh, Perth Now piece, fronting up to 451 mostly frustrated people in lockdown for at least five hours a night was rough. Um, quote, I got abused on the calls. It was very significant. That's from Craig Tiley. There were a lot of complaints about a lot of things and some of it was fine. We were just trying to do our best. So I made the decision that I was, that I was going to front it and I was going to take the heat from everyone, not anyone from my team. But normally when you take heat, you take it once. This was 15 straight days. It was like, it's like being attacked for 15 straight days verbally um, and he actually sent his his wife um, and three young children um, to to stay elsewhere on the Mornington Peninsula because he says the stress was too much on the house. It was too hard because I don't think I was in a place to be effective when I was at home. So, yeah, look, I don't think he he's complaining. Or I think it, it all comes from quite an understanding place that he's saying all of this. But sometimes he's sort of so smooth and corporate. Craig Tiley, sometimes it can be easy to think that he's just kind of a robot going about things and taking everything on the chin because each time one of those blows hit him, you know, the five-day lockdown, the the hard quarantine, it felt like he just took a breath and went out to the media and said, yes, this is very bad. We are in communication with the Victorian authorities and we're going to do our best. So... Just an insight into into what it was like behind the scene for a man scenes for a man of his sort of strength and stature. It's quite something, really. Mm. I was very interested to read that, and and I think you you can have a debate and a conversation about ultimately whether it's all worth it, given the huge financial losses that Tennis Australia have sustained. Um. But I, I have enormous admiration for him, um, f- for the way he sort of just kept it together. Because that, I have a very small insight into what it's like at Queens, um, and you know we all joke about the, the, the small amounts of sleep that I sometimes live off, um, and uh, I mean I can't do it as much as I used to be able to do it, and I'm ten years younger than him. I'm not sure um, you really used to be able to do it, David. You just convinced yourself you could. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, um, and and yeah, to keep it going, and, and particularly under those sort of circumstances, I think is it's what was required in order for them to 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 get through this. Um, I, I do kind of think that there's uh, a voracious competitor in him, mm. where he had decided that they were going to do this, and over his body would they not, you know, and he was going to just throw himself to the wolves in order to be able to mm. pull this off. And I mean, look, I've, I've had occasions when I've committed to do something in the past and been so determined to show that I can do it no. and that I'm going to do it, uh, that regardless of whether it's a good idea or not, I will still keep going. That doesn't sound like you. <laughs> um, and occasionally I would have been better off just admitting defeat or – pulling the plug once in a while i've i've got to the end of it and i've thought i'd have been better off not doing that um 
but I'm just so bloody minded I won't I won't stop. And I, and I do. I mean, he is adamant that this is worth it, and I really, really hope it is. Look, for all of us, it is. You know, he has given us tennis and sport to cover, which keeps us all in jobs, keeps our podcast going, keeps everybody able to watch it, keeps the media rights flowing in, et cetera, et cetera, all the tennis players having jobs, all those people. You know, thank thank goodness they pushed on. Um, I do think that there, there are some people out there who might think, well, yeah, an incredible uh, – example of project management and crisis management in order to to make the thing happen was it worth it that's that's a question i think will only be answered in time with absolute certainty um i'm certainly happy that that they did um but my my admiration for him is is without question in terms of of the way he actually managed to pull it off because i'd I, I don't know how how a person can withstand all that. I'm sure the same is true several times over for some some of the politicians in charge of countries, etc. And goodness knows how people in hospitals feel who are running running those wards and all the rest of it. But yeah, just just handling pressure and navigating these situations, I think he did a great job. Mm, very well said. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in, being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times. Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Naomi Osaka uh, has tweeted today... <laughs> Um, about so so the clip of the of the Jenny Jennifer Jen um, incident. It's not an incident. Moment misunderstanding. Moment. Moment. Yes, misunderstanding. Very gentle, sort of heartwarming misunderstanding has been circulating on on the internet. And poor Naomi Osaka, <laughs> she uh, she quote tweeted and said, "OMG, no crying face." Um, sort of 
distressed face. I promise you, in my mind, I thought I called her Jenny in that moment and I was so confused why the crowd was laughing. I'm so sorry. Um, Bless her. Bless her. I I believe that she's sort of genuinely upset that she got she got it wrong. Um, how many? I've sure watched the is, clip yeah. a lot. I think she says Jenny. She does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she, oh, says she does. I, I, right. Unquestionably. So 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 are we going to call her Jenny? We're. I know we're we're back to this again. What are we going to do? I'm calling her Jennifer Brady just because okay. that's what it says on the list. But she has said Jenny. I don't know. That's also fine, I think. <laughs> I think he, I don't know. What do you think? Matt? Jenny or Jennifer? Which, is there a song with either name in it? <laughs> um, Jenny was a friend of mine by the Killers. Oh, hello. Okay. Unfortunately, I actually don't know the words to that. We'll find out. We'll find out and get <laughs> back very to you. I very... I very nearly had to do House of Pain's <laughs> jump around on this show today. You Never did. have I wanted uh, a comeback Capello. from Two Sets to Love Down more because of what David was offering. Mm-hmm. Well, agreeing to. I wasn't exactly <laughs> offering it. Do you know all the words, David? How do you know yeah. all the words to that? Because when I was at university, um, I was staying with uh, in, a, in a house with uh, a, a, the British judo champion who happened to be massively into rap music and all sorts of things like that. And, uh, and he stuck on um, Jump Around, and I loved it. And, and he taught me the words. So I picked him up. <laughs> There's a lot, lot of bones to pick through from that story, David. I'm going to table that for a, a future podcast. <laughs> Were those the Lost Law years? No, 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 no. That was he when was I was out the I'd, other I'd side recovered. Okay. I was at Loughborough University right. with Luke Preston, my, my old housemate, who was, who's now uh, one of Britain's Olympic judo coaches. Yeah. The Lost Don't Law Years them. Part 2, back, back with a vengeance slash yeah. degree certificate. Um, uh, other sort of bits and bobs to clear up for you. It turns out, and with thanks to many people that emailed us, including uh, Jeffrey Lubbers, um, that uh, Yogi Berra uh, inspired the name of Yogi Bear. So perhaps not as idiotic as we all might have thought yesterday. That's a theory, isn't it? Yeah. Is that definite? That's a th- is, we, we've, we've it's seen it's all definitely sorts of a theory that and... I'm choosing to to believe in. Um, and Yo- Yogi Yogi Berra really does have um, quite the box of tricks in terms of quotes next to his name. Um, it's like deja vu all over again. You can observe a lot by just watching. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Um, baseball is ninety percent mental, and the other half is physical. <laughs> Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Uh, I'm learning a lot here, I don't know about you. We made too many wrong mistakes. Never answer an anonymous letter. The future ain't what it used to be. Even Napoleon had his Watergate. This guy's a hoot. (laughs) I can see why they named a much-loved bear after him. We had a lot of correspondence about it, didn't we? A lot of people were saying, you don't know who this is? Sorry. Yeah, we're we're British. Like, if I mean, who do I know in terms of uh, baseball? I know um, A Rod. I know Babe Ruth. 
I know the ones who got caught for drugs. Alan Judge? And... No, never heard of him. Aaron Judge? Is it Aaron? I think it is. Um, Who's that? He plays for the Yankees. Oh. Um, Robinson. Quite likely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And we've exhausted that. Um other other bits and bobs from today. Ivan Dodig and Philip Polisek uh, beat Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury 6-3, 6-4 to win their first major together as a team. Dodig's won uh, a Grand Slam title uh, with another partner, but Polisek is an amazing story. He came out of retirement in 2018 after five years away from the sport. Um, he's 35 years old and this is his first Grand Slam Excuse me. He's 35 years old and this is his first Grand Slam title. And his his partner, uh, Karen, gave birth to their second daughter two days ago, Olivia Victoria, back in Bratislava. So oh, wow. missing the birth of his daughter, hopefully all worth it. Perhaps not for Karen. Um, <laughs> tough times for her. But, um, but yeah, lovely story. Got a title to bring home, a few extra quid. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Congratulations to them. Yeah, lovely story. Um, we have a competition winner. Or I have a competition winner. Who's got, who's got the title? I've, uh, and what did they have to do again? I've been bowled over by the entrance. Um, people had to post on their Instagram stories pictures of their hashtag tennis podcast pets watching the tennis uh, with optional tennis podcast paraphernalia. Um, and we've been quite overwhelmed and delighted by the entries. Um, but I, I have had to pick a winner. Um, it, was a, it was a joyful process. Um, and I'm pleased to report that Spike, the bearded dragon, <laughs> well, the bearded dragon uh, is our winner. Spike is enjoying the Australian Open men's finals and he really looks like he is enjoying the Australian Open men's finals. Um, we've shared his picture on our Instagram stories, but just in case you're not on Instagram, I'll try and do his description. Spike is a sort of, um, including tail, I would say um, 40 centimetre long lizard uh, in a in a browny yellow colour. Um, he really is quite spiky, which presumably uh, is why he's named Spike, unless his owner, Jonathan, is a really big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, which would also be great. Um, Spike is sat atop an Australia T-shirt featuring a koala um, uh, with a tennis podcast hoodie in the background, a, uh, a propped-up phone showing the tennis with a miniature tennis racket and tennis ball um, either side of said propped up phone. It's it's really a, such a strong entry. Um, we yeah. did say extra points for paraphernalia and Spike here is really nailing the paraphernalia. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Spike was your first choice, but it not that we had any influence, but we were we were all pretty unanimous. Yeah, David said Spike's probably don't choose a dog this time. There are rumours circulating <laughs> that you're you're biased. Don't tell all the dog owners that. I love all animals. <laughs> just like to make that clear. 
Um, what else do we have? Oh, hang we... on, I, hang on. I've just realised you were referring to Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, yes. Yes, we really should have known that. Yeah, thank you. I just had a brain where'd cramp. You, where'd you pluck that out from? Matt? Just came to me. Mm. Very good. I'd say those are all the biggins that we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Um, <laughs> other bits and bobs to mop up from the 2021 Australian Open. I'm dragging this out as long as possible because I'm going to feel instant FOMO or instant heart sinking the second this thing is over. So I'm going to do some dragging out. Um, to the extent that I'm prepared to to talk about our predictions, um, which were frankly a disaster for me, um, who were they least disastrous for, Matt? Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> Matt wins again. You didn't get today, did you? Did anyone get no, today? No. Daryl was closest. Daryl had Djokovic in four, but otherwise we all went for five setters. Mm. It, what are the standings? So uh, you're top, I'm bottom. Who's in the sandwich? Uh, Daryl is second. Rio with a Y is third. And David is fourth. Bring up the rear, David. That's all that matters. Us too. You. <laughs> We're the back end of the pantomime donkey. Okay, um, I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling good about the year long predictions. That's where that's where I'm I'm committing. I, I'm like Djokovic. I'm not about the tour events. I'm about the bigger picture. This was a slam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, st- there's still a bigger picture than that. I'm about the records at the end of it. Uh, Crumble, what a mascot Crumble has been. Uh, the second year running, she's been our Australian Open mascot, and uh, she's lovely. She's she's done a stellar job. Yeah, you nailed it, Crumble. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Well done, Crumble. Um, we've got shout-outs. We've got thank yous. We have got a couple of other bits of housekeeping. Um, but first, I, I did just want to address, um, well, actually, a number of correspondences we've had about our decision um, not to refer to the second stadium Um, at the Australian Open by its official title, but to refer to it as the Yvonne Goolagong Arena. Um, It's a decision we've explained a couple of times at the start of of the tournament. We've received so much correspondence about it and we have read all of it. Um, And so much of it has been positive and and really quite touching, actually, um, from people saying that the decision not to use its official name has really meant meant a lot to them and and alleviated certain anxieties they experienced whilst watching the tennis and and hearing hearing Margaret Court's name. We have we've we've received a lot of correspondence querying our decision to call it the Yvonne Goolagong Arena, querying the fact that we didn't have Yvonne Goolagong's approval for that. Um, and I I do think that's a fair point. And I just wanted to read. Um, uh, a, an excerpt from another correspondence we had from backer, n- backer number 269, unconfirmed whether backer number 269 has that tattooed about their person. Um, but this is this is a part of what they had to say. Um, while while they agree with the importance of names and agree, agree with the, the decision not to re- refer to it by its official name, uh, they go on to say... Uh, Yvonne Goolagong's name belongs to her, as does her life and her achievements. Using her name in this way is a violation, even if well-intentioned, and I wish you would not continue. 
When you explained your thinking, you cited as context the understanding you gained from the work you did on Arthur Ashe and Althea Gibson. Uh, so you know that white people in the US, a country built on the exploitation of people of colour, have struggled for decades to understand that they must not use their power with disregard to the rights of people of colour. If she asked you not to use her name in this way, you would no doubt honour her request. You grant that it was within her gift. You just have not let her decide to give it. You have instead taken it. Sometimes, clearly, white people's use of their power is intended to be benevolent, other times not. But always it is a use of power, power that is denied to non-whites. Perhaps refer to it as the unnamed stadium or some number stadium or whatever name you like, just not by taking the name of a woman of colour as though it is yours by rights to use. Um, and look, that, that really got to us, that email. And um, if we had our time again, we might choose to call it something different. I think we stand by our decision not to call that stadium by its official name. Um, and we stand by our decision-making as to why we chose to call it the Yvonne Gulagong Arena. But hopefully we'll have this decision to make again in a year's time. And I think we just wanted to point out that we've heard that email and we've heard all the correspondence that we've received um, about that decision and uh, and we appreciate it. Um, so thank you. Thank you to everyone that gets in touch with us. Um, it means a lot. It means a lot that people take such time and thought uh, to get in touch and whether it's to criticise us or make suggestions or tell us what this podcast means to them that means a lot to us as well so thank you um don't worry folks we are getting quickly onto the bit of the show where matt does singing if you're all just hanging on for that <laughs> um i need to say one final hello during this australian open to zeus i've let you down zeus but we will ride again david your apology yeah. to brogue yeah sorry rogue mm. uh, i'll sort it out and match your victory sing song for Scousel Mousel. Yes, thank you, Scousel Mousel. That's, I mean, I must say, I, I'd also won the two previous predictions competitions before I had Scousel Mousel. So I'm, I'm pleased that we're carrying who on is, our streak. Who is this monster we've created, David? <laughs> so I'm speechless. Yeah. You owe us a song, mate. Who are our shout outs for? <laughs> they are for Annabelle Smith. Hey, Annabelle. Hey, Annabelle. Hiya. Can't think of any songs. Disappointing, but lovely name. Yeah, very nice. Thanks for, thanks for your support. Katie Johnson. All right, Katie. Katie Johnson. What's Katy Perry been up to lately? I think she's just had a baby. She, she sang at the... songs uh, going on. Yes. She sang at the inauguration, didn't she? Mm. What did she sing? Um, F- firework? firework? How's that go? I see what he's done here. <laughs> no, I definitely can't sing that. It would, it would be, a, <laughs> look it be an injustice. Sorry, Katie. Do I'll we try. have any backers called Bruce? Quite possibly. You genuinely don't know. You haven't. These are these no, are these, in it's order. all in order. Yeah, it's okay. all in order. Okay. Who's the big reveal on our third one? Well, it's a name I've already mentioned actually, and that is Rear with a Y. Oh, hello, Rio with a Y. Took part a in a very our... respectable third in our predictions. For the Australian Open. Yes. And also getting a shout out. Yes. Hey. Hello, Rio with, with a Y. Great dog. Um, some thank yous. Uh, we'd like to say hello to and thank you to Hannah and to Andrew who ran our Twitter feed throughout the tournament. Um, 
I so loved sitting back and just watching it and just being in the company of those two. It's the first time we've done something like that. It was made possible by our Kickstarter backing at the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And it feels really great to be able to have people like that on our team. So thanks to them and thanks to you for backing us so that we could do that. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, Same goes for Patrick, our editor, who's listening to this right now. Thank you, Patrick. Top bloke, thanks for working around puppy interventions. Um, Could have told us sooner that there was a workaround for that. (laughs) That wouldn't have cost us all an afternoon. But anyway, uh, thank you to Gorana, our designer, um, who does tremendous work on our newsletter, which you really should all sign up to if you haven't got that message by now. They will continue weekly outside of the slams and daily during the slams. Um, And she's also been designing us a new line of merch, uh, which Spike will get his hands on first. Lucky Spike. Um, And to Sarah as well, who does all sorts of bits and bobs for us. Thank you, Sarah. Um, It is such a privilege to be able to have a a team, to be a tennis podcast team working on these tournaments. And and once again, you make that possible with your backing. So thank you. Um, Which only leaves me to remind you, I think, that if you're a new listener, if you've discovered us recently, and we have had a a few um, messages to that effect recently, if you have just discovered us, um, we we do our crowdfunding to fund and support the podcast uh, at the end of each year. We've done that for the past five years. Um, So if you're wanting to support us, look, we do have a Patreon um, set up for for monthly monthly payments if you want to support us that way. It's merely a sort of logistical alternative to the Kickstarter if you want to support us. We're not – it's not a kind of support us on both, you know. It's not a um, – yeah, it's just some people get in touch and say either we missed the boat on the Kickstarter or it doesn't suit us to, to make one payment because at that time of year I might not have the money to give. So, look, we do have a Patreon set up if that suits you better. And if not, then sign up to our um, backers reminder list to, uh, to, to get a reminder about our Kickstarter at the end of the year and when you can back us then and help us to keep this thing going because it's been – such a privilege and a treat to cover this Australian Open with crowds, with all the storylines it's had to offer, with the team that we've been able to have in place covering it. It really has been a treat and I'm I'm kind of dreading tomorrow. Um, but yeah, that's an indication that's, that it's been a damn good two weeks. So thank you, Matt, and thank you, David. And we'll, awesome. be, we'll be back next week uh, with more tennis podcasts. Um, yeah, so make sure you tune in on Monday for our next tennis podcast. In the meantime, we'll we'll give you a moment to catch up with the 14 uh, that there have been over the last two weeks. We hope you've enjoyed this Australian Open. Stay safe, stay well, wherever you are. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.